You are now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Welcome to Rothgar's Hall, the manly musical segment of the podcast Sound of Sanity. And we're feeling very manly today, aren't we, boys? Ah, Indeed. You, you, you got your whiskey there, Benjamin. I got it here. You got your scotch and your bourbon there, Jacob. Bourbon all the way, baby. You got your, your cigar there, Benjamin. I got it right here. Now, you didn't bring any of your pansy meat, your turkey food, Benjamin. I brought my pickled onions. That's you right, know. you brought your pickled onions. You remember what happened last time you brought the turkey food. It wasn't pretty. Pretty. It was ugly. <laughs> That's the opposite of pretty. <laughs> That's what I thought. It's an antonym. Today, for our manly musical statement, I'll have Mr. Jacob Mansell and Mr. Benjamin Solzer join me up here on the stage. All right. Yes. And fellas, we're going to sing a manly song, a song in tribute, a ballad to our favorite manly man. The clinical psychologist from Canada, Jordan B. Peterson. All right. Yes. He's been known as YouTube's preeminent father figure. If ever there's a manly moniker, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought today we could sing a little ballad to our hero. What do you say, fellas? Let's do it. Let's go for it. Helpfuler than Squanto, he will make you manly pronto. He's the hero from Toronto. He is Jordan Peterson. He, he will cut, cut through YouTube's dung with just his mighty silver tongue, with all his quotes from Carl Young, because he's Jordan Peterson. Just 12 rules for living, boy, how simple can it be? I found a man to follow, boy, his name is Jordy P. Oh, Professor Peterson, you made a man of me. Raise a glass to Jordan Peterson. So forget the leftist mob, sir, because Jordan's on the job, sir, like an alpha male lobster. He is Jordan Peterson. When the liberals get preachy and progressives get too screechy, who is there to quote some Nietzsche? Why, it's Jordan Peterson. He found the boy in every land and made that boy a man. He took our social construct and he kicked it in the can. He says you're just a pansy if you think you're Peter Pan. Raise a glass to Jordan Peterson. So accept no counterfeit, son, and don't be a hypocrite, son. You just read your souls and ifs, and and you're Jordan Peterson. Then you'll never miss the marquee, and you'll rule your hierarchy, for he's never jumped the sharky. No, not Jordan Peterson. This is just the sort of self-help that old John Wayne might condone. Like Dr. Phil or Oprah, but now with testosterone. Oh, your daddy left ya, you don't have to feel alone. Raise a glass to Jordan Peterson. Welcome to Sound of Sanity. This is Nathan Amerson, your humble and obedient host, lead vocalist on that wonderful song. Over there, we've got our guitar player, Pastor Jacob Mensel. Rock on, Nathan. Benjamin, you are are singing harmony there. I did sing harmony. Your name is Benjamin Solzer. You're our engineer. That song was a pretty good introduction to the subject of this show. Jordan B. Peterson himself, the one and only YouTube's, what did we say? What does it say he is? On the inside jacket of his book, it says he is YouTube's preeminent father figure. Now, just in case someone's been uh, living under a very effeminate, unmanly rock, Ben, give us some stats, some facts here about Mr. Jordan Peterson. Professor Jordan Peterson, I should say. Professor Peterson, he's a clinical psychologist from Canada. He's a professor at the University of Toronto, and he has a huge YouTube audience because... In September of 2016, he resisted Bill C-16, a Canadian bill, to force people to use 
preferred pronouns or something like that. Yeah, and he said, no way. He said, no way. He published some YouTube videos. He resisted it. His resistance won him a lot of fans. So over the course of 2017, he really grew in popularity. Accumulated a lot of momentum, and I started hearing about him all the time. He had these YouTube YouTube videos, videos. and then his book came out in 2018, and he's just become a sensation, a voice for fatherless, disenfranchised, intelligent, millennial men. Mm -hmm. We decided we were going to read his book because he came out with this book just in January, as we discovered. 12 Rules for Life, and Antidote to Chaos. We are going to give you our take on this book, starting right now. I'm going to assume that a lot of our listeners probably are familiar with Peterson's work, with his philosophy. They've seen YouTube videos, but we'll go ahead and summarize this book. And actually, let's just go through. There's 12 rules for living. Let's just tell people, I don't think Peterson would mind if we just shared the 12 rules. So rule number one, stand up straight with your shoulders back. I'll say the rules and then you guys can explain. You have to assert yourself socially. You have to be aware that there are dominance hierarchies that you have to defend yourself and you have to be ready to have the right kind of conflict with people. I mean, if we want to talk just about underlying principles, life is suffering, so take responsibility for yourself and for others. Be willing to accept the cost of speaking truth. Take risks in speaking the truth. Absolutely. Let's see, rule number two, treat yourself like somebody you're responsible for helping. That's pretty straightforward. This is number three, make friends with people who want the best for you. So first, you have to see yourself as somebody who's worth helping, and the need is to surround yourself with people who are helpful to you. Rule number four, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to someone who someone else is today. Better yourself. You do that by looking at your own trajectory and making sure that you have a goal that's good. Some of it, as we describe it, may sound a little self-help-ish. What's the one thing that you could do today that you actually would do to make yourself or the world a slightly better place? Rule number five, and this is where, because I was dubious about this guy, and I'm I just I'm just always dubious about these guys, but rule number five, I started to fall in love with him. Do not let your children do anything that makes you dislike them. Don't let your kids do anything that you don't like. Why? Because you need to raise them to be sociable, responsible people that you love and respect and that other people love and respect. And the best gauge for that is, do you like them? Mm -hmm. And do you like the things that they're doing? And so he talks really practically in that chapter about discipline and all kinds of stuff. And it's really good. It's really, He's re- it really, it's good. really good. Yeah. He gives the example of a kid acting out in the store and he says, if you don't discipline your kid, what will happen because you are a monster. He has a nice grasp of evil. He says, you will take revenge on your child. What'll happen is the kid will forget about acting out. Maybe an hour later, they'll want to show you a drawing. You'll be cold. You'll be mean. The kid won't make the connection. He ends up saying that discipline is inevitable. And so it can either be constructive or it can be nasty. Mm -hmm. He actually talks about kids should feel the weight of punishment and judgment because God is a God of wrath as much as he's a God of love. He talks about that in the chapter. We should note Peterson doesn't believe in a personal God. Yes, or, if you're not familiar with Peterson at all, he is not a Christian. But you'd be, if you just read him out of context in certain places, you'd be mistaken for thinking he was just a Christian because he'll talk about the wrath of God. He'll talk about relying on God. He'll use biblical He'll talk about how you need to live a life that pleases God, obey God, you need to fear God. But he doesn't mean what we mean. Rule number six, set your house in perfect order before you criticize the world. He talks about how stupid people are for thinking they can remake a society. You don't even understand yourself. Get yourself in order. Get your house in order. It's when people focus everywhere but their house that always ends up leading to death camps. And it's always people that are willing to apply their philosophies to other people and never apply it to themselves that are leading the charge on that because they're angry and resentful and vengeful people. Rule number seven, pursue what is meaningful, not what is expedient. Rule number eight, tell the truth or at least don't lie. Rule number nine, assume that the person you are listening to might know something you don't. Life is not arriving at becoming a wise person, but it's the constant pursuit of wisdom. And yet to do that, you have to be humble, a humble learner, a humble listener. Ten, be precise in your speech. 
identify your fears and identify problems. And then you need to identify them clearly and specifically and precisely. And he talks a lot in that chapter about marriage and mm-hmm. how marriages fall apart by refusing to address things, refusing to to articulate the things that bother them about each other, the things that they want or the things that they're afraid of. Number 11, do not bother children when they are skateboarding. Risk is good. Risk leads to competence and to control and to strength. And if you remove risk, you remove competence and control and strength. And men especially need risk and women need men to have the freedom to take risks because men need to be strong and competent. Women need strong and competent men who can protect them and care for them. Right. And a lot of the reason that you've heard of Peterson, if you if you kind of know who Peterson is, but you don't really, a lot of the things that people are responding to is his honesty and forthrightness and good observations about masculinity in particular. He's a guy that's willing to admit that there is such a thing as masculinity and he talks in precise and good ways about it all through this Not book. Not just admit it, it's assert it. Assert it dogmatically and to be dismissive of anybody who would say otherwise is being ridiculous. And as a psychologist, as somebody who's spent his life trying to care for people, he seems to really see the horror and the dangers of feminism, of not giving yourself to the truth about who you are biologically and spiritually, how you've been made. I mean, he just sees it pretty accurately. Yeah. I don't even want to qualify that by saying for a pagan. No, he sees it. He just sees it accurately, a lot more accurately than a lot of Christians do, sadly. Number 12, pet a cat when you encounter one on the street. This is his attempt to make sense of everything. He tells the story of his daughter who's been through immense suffering and trauma. Rare bone disease that she has. What he has to offer is find the beauty in existence in the midst of the suffering and chaos of this world. You see a little girl dancing on the street because she's wearing a ballerina costume. Stop and smile. Stop and smile. He's a good poet of existentialism. You feel it. I felt it. And I think that's probably what's maybe dangerous about this guy. That's what a lot of young men in particular will respond to this idea that everything's pointless, but we can find these little moments of grace. And there's something very romantic about that. But it's wrong. But then it made me sad for him at the end when he's trying to pull it all together into some coherent meaning and just like any pagan, not getting there. It's dumb and we can make fun of it to say that he is YouTube's preeminent father figure. Right. But the reality is there are millions of people now who have went to YouTube looking for father figures. If if you had a dad who told you to stand up straight and put your shoulders back, then that's great. Bless you. It might be easy for you to look down on all these quote unquote disaffected young men that are responding so strongly to Peterson. But the fact is a lot of people out there, I number myself among them, didn't have a dad who told them to stand up straight and put their shoulders back. And so this stuff is potent. Nobody's preaching or expositing this kind of biblical Christian sexual ethic. Mm -hmm. Nobody's calling men to masculinity the way that this guy is. It's super appealing. My mini review of the book would be, if you're going to be tempted by the existential romanticism, by the, the by the nihilism at the heart of it, then you shouldn't read it. But it's got a lot of really helpful stuff, Yep. and I don't want to be dismissive of it all at all. I think it would be helpful to a lot of people. It's a good book. But it's something to be careful about. Yeah, but Peterson's humble in a lot of ways. Now, in some ways, he's not. He's not humble because he's not really in any way living in submission to God or to mm-hmm. Scripture. At the same time, what he's not doing is just being a faux-masculine hero for impotent little twerps who want somebody that makes them feel good about themselves. And I I like that about him. He seems to have, in a certain public sense, he has some humility to him, and he obviously really cares about people. That's refreshing. Yeah. Has the courage of his convictions. Well, that ultimately, if we're talking about what's ultimately attractive about Jordan Peterson, the reason anybody's ever cared about him is because he's had moral courage. You know, it was taking the stand against that bill publicly that skyrocketed him into prominence. But Peterson's one of the few people who, unlike Donald Trump and a lot of other guys, is able to have that moral courage without a lot of swagger to it. And I love yeah, that about it. without him. a lot yeah. of swagger, showboating, and without a lot of bluster. Yeah, I guess uh, it's a good it's a good book for what it is if you can approach it in the right way. Jordan Peterson's kind of helpful to people who just need the practical, common sense, common grace wisdom of a father and don't have that, uh, despite the fact that his foundations are deeply flawed. Let's talk about those foundations because a servant is not greater than his master, and Jordan Peterson actually has 
masters. And I'm just afraid that we might actually be underplaying the destructiveness of the philosophy, especially because a lot of it's implied, because of a lot, a lot of it's something that you as a reader, it's, he doesn't always make the foundation real explicit. He's a good showman. He's a good writer. He always has good metaphors. But what he's not doing a lot of is talking about the assumptions. As we mentioned, he's, he's he can be a little cagey about the, the assumptions behind his work. And I think that could be dangerous. So let's talk about a couple of the his masters, of the people that he's built the foundation of his moral philosophy on. So I think it's time for a new segment on our show, which I am calling Monsters in the Attic, the part of the show where we shine a light on the things that no one wants to talk about. Right, so let's talk about Peterson's influences. All right, so that, so that means we need to talk about existentialism. Existentialism is a term that was coined in the 1950s to describe a certain brand of philosophy that more or less began uh, developing in the 19th century. Right, so in, in the 19th century, the Enlightenment had come along, rationalism had come along, Darwin had come along, evolution, materialism. Suddenly people were losing their faith in God and their reality beyond the physical world. And so people started to ask these questions. Well, well, if there's no God, then maybe life is meaningless. If life is meaningless, what what do we do? How do we deal with that? Uh, what if there's nothing outside of our own individual point of view? What's, what's the nature of meaning? How do I find meaning in life, in this existence that we share on this on this rolling sphere? <laughs> this rolling sphere. <laughs> as, as you've, you've heard of the dark night of the soul. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about angst, dark night of the soul. If there's no God, what's the basis of existence? What's the basis of meaning? How, how do we define morality? Is there such a thing as morality? Those are the questions that people began asking in the late 19th and 20th century. And Jordan Peterson's philosophy is founded on on many of their answers. A sort of chief among these existentialist philosophers, if we can call them that, is... Mr. Uh, Soren Kierkegaard? That's uh, Soren Kierkegaard. What? Okay, so, so, so who was Mr. Kierkegaard? Tell me all about Mr. Kierkegaard. Okay, he was, a, he was a Danish philosopher, something of a theologian. He spent his whole life searching for an honest, authentic way of living in spite of the apparent meaninglessness of existence. Okay, so, so here's a guy that's reacting to all the enlightenment rationalism and also largely to the what he saw as a very hypocritical church as 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 the hypocrisy of Christianity. That's right. So he ended up saying that faith itself is absurd, full of contradictions and the hero of uh, of Kierkegaard's philosophy is who he calls the knight of faith. That's a man who can look full in the face of the irrationality of faith and existence, embrace it, take a leap of faith, and embrace, live with the paradoxes and contradictions. Here's the thing. When he started out, he was going to be a pastor. He was going to get married to this girl. And then he had these sort of crises of going into the church. And he began stringing this girl along. And then he rejected her. He spent his whole life mourning this thing and, and thinking himself a great heroic guy for having sacrificed this great life uh, that he could have had with this woman in order to be, you know, a real authentic philosopher. Cool. <laughs> he sounds like a really he sounds like a, a really cool guy. He was lame. Okay, who's next? Okay, so then just a little bit farther down the line, you have Friedrich Nietzsche. Uh, Friedrich Nietzsche. I know all about him. He's like into the, the Superman, and he said God is dead, all that stuff, right? That, that's right. And just like Kierkegaard, he began trying to search for meaning in the face of meaninglessness. So Kierkegaard has his knight of the faith who embraces the paradox of faith and meaninglessness. And Nietzsche had the ubermensch. The ubermensch. You mean like the Superman? Yeah, the Superman, the Overman, the Uberman. The man who transcends the paradox by simply rejecting faith altogether. God is dead and we have killed him. That's right. God is dead and Nietzsche then replaces God with this doctrine he calls eternal recurrence. It's the idea that time is infinite, but matter, things in it are not. So given, you know, the laws of nature progressing and matter being finite and time going on and on forever, eventually this all will happen all over again. Everything just sort of recurs over and over and over again. It repeats itself. And so Nietzsche has this famous line in, in one of his books where he says, what if a demon comes and whispers into your ear? 
that this has all happened before and it's all going to happen again and you're stuck in this loop. The normal person would fall on the ground and gnash his teeth and scream no and uh, give in to despair. But the Ubermensch is the guy who can look at that and say, you are a blessed angel of light and I've never heard of anything so beautiful. So Nietzsche's whole thing was if you embrace that, the love of fate is essential to finding meaning in Nietzsche. Okay. (laughs) I don't know if that's what I would say if a demon was whispering in my ear. (laughs) But... um... He was a pretty cool guy, though, right? This Nietzsche fella? (laughs) Not so much. You're not going to tell me that he lived with multiple women, got addicted to opiates, had a mental breakdown, and started writing indecipherable letters to friends that he either signed as Dionysus or the Crucified until he was committed to an insane asylum. Are you? (laughs) That's a good guess. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah, that is Nietzsche. That's how Nietzsche ended his life. And that brings us from Nietzsche down the line to the two direct forebears of Peterson in his own field, which is psychology. All right, all right. I'm going to take a wild guess. Is one of them our good friend Sigmund Freud? Yeah, so Freud is kind of like Nietzschean philosophy meets Darwinian scientific theory. I thought he was kind of like the father of psychoanalysis. Yeah, that too. But he was a rampant materialist that believed that God's an illusion based on our infantile desire for a powerful daddy figure in our lives. (laughs) Okay, Uh, gross. (laughs) Yeah, and he was also into forgotten and repressed events of childhood and irrational unconscious drives. Aha, hashtag libido. Yes, hashtag libido. You know, everything in Freud comes down to sex. Those drives are the things that fuel our behavior. Those drives and uncon- the things that happen in our childhood that we've suppressed or repressed that are shaping us. So then you have to get at the root of those desires. The way that you get at the root of those desires is you figure out your forgotten past and you search out your childhood memories and you root out your deepest desires. But when it really gets weird is that then you're supposed to project those deep desires that you are exposing onto your psychologist, the guy who's analyzing you onto your shrink. That's called transference. But in Freud, that was actually a good thing. That was something you were supposed to do. You're supposed to externalize these desires and transfer them to your analyst to Freud himself and so that it gets outside of you and that's how you become liberated from them. So all desires let me just make sure, see if I can process this. Basically all of our desires are rooted in our sexuality and you're supposed to transfer all of that onto your your shrink. Onto Freud. That's right. I can't imagine any way that any psychologist or any man could ever abuse that system of he said sarcastically. (laughs) Yeah and probably Freud didn't abuse it at all. No. No. Considering everything in Freud comes down to sex. Absolutely everything. All of childhood development is framed in psychosexual terms. He's incredibly perverse. He had multiple (laughs) affairs, including an incestuous relationship with his sister-in-law. Oh, gross. Okay, okay. Let's move on from Freud. Let's talk about, because Peterson really has a direct hero and influence, and that's Mr. Carl Jung. That's right. Jung was Freud's real-life friend and Freud's self-proclaimed successor, the heir to Freud's throne. Right, so this was the guy that was going to take Freud and modernism and Nietzsche and all the stuff we've been talking about, and he was going to integrate it into a unified theory of everything. Where he broke with Freud, he was convinced that things were not purely materialistic, things are not purely rational, and everything is not about sex. No, this guy, like if you actually read about him, he's into spiritualism and alchemy, Gnosticism and, and, and everything. I mean, this he Buddhism, he's, he's actually trying literature he's trying to pull everything together and so uh freud had the id and the ego and the super ego and that's how he talked about personality and jung he was much more practical and much more hands-on and so he talked about things like being an extrovert or being an introvert if you've ever taken a myers-briggs personality test that's based on jungian psychology now we're really getting into Peterson-esque kind of stuff because Jung gave us the idea of archetypes. Archetype. Right. So you know what an archetype is. It's a type, it's a recurring symbol or an idea that's emerged from our collective unconscious, like the father archetype or the fool or the saint or whatever. Right. And Jung also believed in the shadow, which is like the repressed side of you. Right. So here's what you have to do. You have to be honest with your shadow and you have to connect to these archetypes that have emerged from our collective unconscious. And so that you have a way to find yourself in that story, a way to know your place in a narrative truth that makes sense of life. 
It sounds kind of ethereal, but it actually makes a lot of sense. We have those stories in Miz and things like The Hero's Journey, and that's why things like The Hero's Journey are so resonant with us. Right. I mean, me and Jake have found ourselves before comparing our lives to things like Star Wars, to fairy tales, all kinds of stuff. And if you've ever done that, then you're tapping into a lot of what Mr. Young was tapping into with these ideas. His successors actually formulated a complete hero's journey uh, from birth to day, death, that was based on his writings. And we still use language from it, things like individuation, for example, he really gave us a vocabulary. Right. And for... that sort of stuff is all over Peterson. Even when Peterson isn't directly quoting from him, he's encouraging us to find our place in the story, to see what we are as male or f- female, to see how we respond to God. It, he's trying to help us find our place and where we find ourselves in the grand story that's been repeated and that's emerged in all of these myths and archetypes. Those are the hooks that we need to be sane. Right, and it gets weird because when Peterson it talks about, for example, responding to God, even though it can sound an awful lot like he's talking about responding to an actual being, what he's really talking about at the end of the day is this is how we respond to an archetype. This is how we respond to something that's emerged in our collective unconscious. That's right. So Peterson talks a good game about God and man and woman and our place in society and all the rest of that stuff. And much of what he has to say because of that, because he is rooting himself from the way that God's made the world, a lot of what he has to say then is helpful. But his essential core foundational belief isn't based in any concrete reality. No, no, not really. It's more of in journey and self-discovery and conforming ourselves to the eternal patterns that have emerged as we've evolved. Which is all very Carl Jung, who I assume, by the way, I'm, 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 go, I'm going for it. I assume he's a stand-up, wonderful <laughs> human being. Ask. <laughs> oh, you don't want to ask. You don't want to ask. Great guy. <laughs> he was, guess what, sexually debauched. You don't say. He, he had a wife. He had another woman who basically lived with him. That woman was, guess what, one of his patients when he started out. Yeah. And so it's a lot right. like William Marsden, who invented Wonder oh, Woman. All these guys are all in the, in. you know, Marsden was a guess what? A clinical psychologist. Yeah. So Young was at least a, a, a two-woman. At man, least. He had, he, actually, he had lots of other women on this side. Right. Well known. He was heavily mystics. After he broke with Freud, the story goes that before he wrote one of his first books, like when the book was kind of bottled up in him before he'd actually written it just down, his kids start to see like these white figures and in the middle of the night, the sheets are snatched off the beds while they're sleeping and the doorbell rings and no one's there and all this really weird creep stuff. And, and then Young talks about how a spirit guide, I think named Philemon, appeared to him in dreams and visions and gave him a lot of his ideas like for archetypes. Like, I guess my point is that this young guy like... Totally doesn't sound demonic at all. No, it doesn't sound <laughs> demonic at all. <laughs> and and he was able to give it this veneer of science and people kind of accepted it as, as such. But in another era, this guy's basically a Rasputin. He's a shaman. He's one of yeah. those kinds of guys. I mean, he's a spirit guru that sees visions and that has these weird ideas that people some, can subscribe to. But he called himself a psychologist and he rooted it in all this scientific sounding jargon. And Jordan Peterson is a scientific sounding psychologist whose principal guru is Carl Jung. Once again, Peterson ends up getting a lot of good stuff right. Lots of good conclusions because he's tapping into foundational truths about the way God made the world. He just doesn't understand that there is a living God who made the world. Whatever he thinks he's observed, the best of it is really just rooted in the fact that the foundation is really wonky. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that, I guess, concludes Monsters in the Attic. I don't even know what to say about it. Jordan Peterson is constantly quoting from these guys. That ought to be a red flag for anybody that knows these guys. It really doesn't actually matter to Jordan Peterson whether you believe in the idea of a man or a woman. It doesn't really matter whether you believe in an actual God. But what's important is that we are all, over the years, over the billions of years of of evolution, we've accumulated an idea what a man is. We all have an idea what a woman is. We all have an idea what a God is. And in some existential way, we might as well just obey those because we're not actually going to be able to escape from them. Our societies have been shaped by our collective unconscious. Right. And our stories are from our collective unconscious. And so the best thing to do is to simply submit yourself to the order that's already been established by it 
We have to use the building blocks that we've been given by evolution and by this accumulation of psychological weight of archetype of all this stuff. Which you would sometimes call the Tao or God or whatever. Right. Let's just remember that there's a lot of wackadoodle stuff underneath it. And I'm just kind of afraid that what he's basically doing is giving you a way to get get all the good stuff of Christianity without having to actually do the work of embracing an actual God, of having actual faith. And I think it can actually be very, very, very dangerous for people. Well, it's, it, what we actually said was, if you're the kind of person who's going to be tempted by that sort of thing, by the nihilism, by the wacko stuff, don't bother with Peterson. But if you're looking for practical, common grace wisdom, you're going to get more from Peterson than you are from most evangelical pulpits. That's all I've really wanted to say, and which isn't even so much as to say you should read Peterson as it is a condemnation of evangelical pulpits. Right. But built on this weird foundation of basically nihilism, existentialism, yeah, you're right. and a lot of wacky stuff. I'm going to take issue with the way that you frame that, though, because what he hasn't actually done is built a moral system on a wacky foundation. What he's done is he's stolen a moral system from the Bible, and then he's tried to give it a foundation that is plausible and that somehow transcends the Bible and makes sense to rational scientific people who want to not feel stupid for simply believing the Bible for what it says, but who want to uh, be a part of that next evolutionary step of having transcended medieval Christianity, having transcended the Enlightenment, having transcended modernism and postmodernism, and learn to integrate scientific truth and narrative truth and all that sort of thing. It sounds really great and spiritual, but that's just his construct for making sense of of what he's actually just stolen from the Bible and from God's common grace. And that common grace stuff is still really good in and of itself, practical and helpful, no matter what he says about where it came from. He's just wrong. Well, yeah, he's, oh my stars, it's the devil's (laughs) advocacy alarm. Uh, the Devil's Advocacy Alarm, as we know, DAA, it's part of the show where someone has to argue for the opposite of what we've been arguing heretofore. Now, Jake, what have we been arguing heretofore in this program? Okay, well, we've one, we've spent a lot of time giving caveats about the philosophy that undergirds Jordan Peterson's book. Some very big caveats. Very big caveats. But what we have said is when it comes down to practical wisdom for men, he's basically really great. And you could do a lot worse than going to Jordan Peterson for some practical common grace wisdom for how to be a man. And we could do a lot worse than going to Jake Menzel to play our devil and to argue for the exact opposite position of that. (laughs) All right. I think I'm game for that. So what I'm going to do, I'm just going to start by restating the thing that I just said in as mean and aggressive way <laughs> as as I possibly can. Jordan Peterson is a thief. He's a thief. He is stealing from scripture and he is presenting as wise in the eyes of the world what is foolish in the eyes of the world. And that's because he's stripping from God's truth everything that has in it repentance, everything that has in it the truth of God the Father Almighty from whom all fatherhood gets its name, the truth of man actually being literally made in the image of God in the garden. Anything that has to do, sure, he wants to talk about evil and understanding your own evil and reckoning with your own evil, but he's never going to talk about repenting of your own evil and actually coming to terms with the holy God. He may talk about wrath. If I may, isn't all truth God's truth? Isn't all truth God's truth? I mean, insofar as he gets things right, don't we have a right to profit from that? Sure, but the problem with Peterson is that he is he is very much like he, he comes, he casts out the devil of modern liberal nonsense, and then he instills in the place of the devil seven new devils. Because what he does is he gives you a a a morality and a way of making sense of morality that does not require you to reckon with the living God in any way, shape, or form. And so then people who are hungry for this sort of thing, and they're not getting it anywhere, and they don't have any meaning in their life, they don't have any sense, any foundation, they now have a sense of biblical morality that really resonates deeply with them because it's true. But packaged with the poison pill of his garbage philosophy, and packaged in such a way that they don't know it's sand. They've been floating around off in Never Never Land. And so when he says, come here, take this real house that I have set on this firm foundation of sand, well, that's more foundation than they've ever known in their lives. What that effectively does is inoculate them to the God of the Bible and what God actually says. And 
cuts you off then from the root of the power you need to actually obey God and live a life pleasing to God. Practical advice for behavior modification, fine, but behavior modification is only skin deep. God wants our hearts and we need more than just baby steps to modify our behavior. We need the Holy Spirit to actually change our hearts. And so this is just a It's a very sophisticated kind of moralism that is satisfying in a lawless world, in a world where nothing matters and everything is meaningless, and that's the way that you've been trained and raised by your public school system since you were five. That it's it's really satisfying if you've grown up your whole life being made to feel bad for being a man, being made to feel bad because of the privilege of your life and everything is just failure on all sides and you can't win in any way. And here comes this guy saying, no, everything's screwed up. You're screwed up. You're a monster. That's okay. We're all monsters. Now grow up and take responsibility for yourself and stop worrying about all these other people. Tell the truth. Be a man. Take responsibility. Love a woman. Have a family. Be a good father. Here, I'm going to help you and give you practical wisdom that you never had because you never had a father. Peeling sounds good. Exists because of the failure of our churches. Still deadly poison. Well, huh. We're going to have to think this over. We'll see what our response to the devil. Maybe we'll agree with the devil. Who knows? We'll be right back after this, folks. And now, The Manly Minute with podcasting's preeminent father, B.J. Sulzer. My first rule is bristle like a badger. Badgers, when they're mad, they're fur bristles. And you know, that is one angry badger. I don't want to mess with that guy. That's how, that's how you get status with the ladies. I'm mad at other guys, and I'm better than them, and they're scared of me. <laughs> ladies <laughs> like that a lot. What's rule number two? Buy yourself an ice cream cone sometimes. There's, like, magnesium, magnesium in the ice cream, and that helps when I'm tired and depressed. To, or I had an angry confrontation that I won with some other guy. Manliness is all about micronutrients. I don't want to be quoted as saying that or supporting <laughs> that statement. <laughs> rule number three. Make friends with people not as strong as you. When I uh, hang out with my friends, I'm like, <laughs> I'm still a lot tougher than they are. I'm hanging out with toddlers. <laughs> <laughs> or with three-legged dogs. <laughs> that may be necessary for you, yeah, to kind of get yourself going. What is rule number four? Kids are really annoying. Uh, <laughs> That's the whole rule? <laughs> I've got to rethink my hanging out with all those toddlers. <laughs> What's rule number five? Don't clean your room too much. What's rule number six? Go after stuff that you like. I like giraffes, as we established in last episode. If you can get a giraffe, man, that would be amazing. I would love to see it and hang out with your giraffe. What's rule number seven? When you tell the truth to uh, prospective employers about how you were fired from your last job, that's not very helpful, so I recommend that you lie, basically. (laughs) (laughs) What's rule number eight? Rule number eight is assume that the people you're talking to are not as smart as you are and that can really stop you from being like depressed and having a bad day and from needing an extra ice cream cone later on what's rule number nine say what you like (laughs) that's what i felt like saying it definitely makes me feel better to hear you say those things nathan so thank you walrus gotta be strong i am now a robot that just says walrus (laughs) what is rule number 10 master Well, rule number 10 is really like, don't be too nice to animals because then you have to feed them because everyone likes cute puppy dogs. But but I don't because I've beaten that desire out of me through years of training. (laughs) And you'll sneeze less too if you're allergic. Bleep, bloop, bloop, destroy all life. And we're back. All right, so the devil says... The devil says that Peterson is a fraud, and he has taken advantage of fatherless men that have been left fatherless. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You're talking like me. (laughs) Fatherless men who have been left fatherless. (laughs) The devil says, Peterson's a fraud. He's taking advantage of sheep that have no shepherd, and he's feeding them a biblical morality... Uh, biblical sexual ethic alongside the poison pill, his corrupt philosophy that is effectively inoculating men against God. It's dangerous. There are better places to get that wisdom. So that's the argument. What is the response? I want to say the devil's not wrong exactly. I want to say the devil's actually right. He's 
Mm-hmm. He's absolutely right. What's our response to that? Well, I feel like I read Peterson and I I benefited from reading. Yeah, I cannot Peterson. tell a lie. I did too. It's a lot of just common sense stuff. You know, G.K. Chesterton. People call him the prophet, a prophet of common sense. A moniker that applies really well to Jordan Peterson. He's a prophet of common sense. Yeah, I've heard people compare him to self-help gurus like Dale Carnegie, you know, famously wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People. Somebody like Dale Carnegie, I read that book, uh, you know, maybe 15 years ago, and it has things like, when you meet someone, you should remember their name and say it back to them. They will feel complimented and you will win friends and influence people. And it's like, it's not wrong. It's correct. It's it's helpful. It's like the song... Actually, you know, Oprah or Dr. Phil with testosterone. Right. Uh, Joel Osteen with testosterone. I want to say he's in some ways more dangerous because he's more helpful than those people. Because he's more helpful, because he goes farther, because he's more insightful, because people will actually learn things about themselves and their psyches because mm-hmm. nobody has actually opened them up pastorally and talked about the motivations of their hearts. He's helping people understand themselves. That's a really powerful thing. If you can help people see things about themselves that they've never seen before, they're going to trust you. Right. But that ultimately, I think, is an indictment of the modern church. And I think that we ought to take the phenomenon that is Jordan B. Peterson as a massive rebuke from the living God. To How sad is it that Jordan Peterson is even interesting? We should be bored by this guy. Like, yeah, he should there's be nothing stuff. that he says that should not be incredibly boring, mm-hmm. inclu- incredibly obvious in terms of practical stuff about kids and taking responsibility Stand up straight, and discipline your kids, assert yourself when necessary, also be humble. Don't run from conflict, face it, face it earlier, it's going to, problems are going to get worse. Mm. These are the kinds of practical things. Now, he's really insightful in how he kind of opens up our motivations. And That's what's just, interesting. He's entertaining, like he he's has entertaining, fun metaphors. good stories, good metaphors. So, you know, he goes on and he rails against homeschoolers because he is talking about how, and he's not like pro-public school or anything like that either in that sense. Mm. He's just saying what you see in homeschooling families is this tendency to think my job is to keep my kids safe. And so I'm going to protect my kids from the dangers out there in the world. And then what you've done is you've only exposed them to the dangers inside your home. You are the monster. You can't You're protect, as much, you you can't protect the monsters them. out there. You'll become the monster. You are the monster. And so the goal isn't to keep your kids safe. If that's your mentality, you're going to fail your kids and they're not going to grow into mature adults. And he's not making an argument against homeschooling or for public schooling or anything in between. He's simply arguing you can't have as your objective keeping your kids safe. The goal is not safe kids, but strong kids. Mm-hmm. That means encouraging risk. That means helping them process the world. That means helping them take responsibility for themselves. But all that stuff should just sound like the boring stuff that gets thrown off in Sunday school classes and from the pulpit. The reason this guy has 980 some thousand subscribers on YouTube. 987.9,000. 987.9,000 subscribers to his YouTube channel is because nobody in America or Canada is saying anything like that. Mm-hmm. If they were, they wouldn't have to be on YouTube scouring videos looking for a father. And so they are subscribing to Jordan Peterson and they're reading Jordan Peterson's book and they see him take one little stand and say, I'm not going to use gender inclusive language. And they think, finally, somebody with moral courage. I want to know what he has to say. And he just says biblical things that resonate deeply with them because it is, in fact, how they were made. It should make us feel ashamed of ourselves. It should make every pastor in this country. And what is has been infuriating to me as I've been listening to, I listened to this book on Audible. He reads it himself. And that's a really good way to uh, consume this book if you're going to consume it at all, because you get his inflection, you get his sense of humor, you get his sincerity. He's He's crying at various points uh-huh. as he's talking about the suffering of his daughter. And it doesn't feel put on. It just feels sort of raw and real. And yeah, maybe it's put on. Maybe it's re- he's a really good showman. I don't know. I don't care. But it definitely hits home better that way. As I'm listening to this book on Audible, I'm looking around and seeing what people are saying because lots of everybody feels they need to reckon with Jordan Peterson. But the, so it's almost like unanimous across the Christian world is like, oh, yeah, you know, he's saying some obvious things. And uh, actually, it's rooted. A lot of the articles are just like they, they always say disaffected white males like that. Those words and that combination appear every time. Like, here's who's attracted to him. Here's some broader context. They'll talk about young. They'll talk about this or that. But the overall tone is one of dismissiveness, and we should not be dismissive of this man. It's dismissive, and it's like, yeah, we've got the goods, actually. 
because we've got this heritage. It's a little bit like you. So you just preached as we're doing this. You preached a sermon last mm-hmm. week about Jesus coming into Jerusalem. And I do not want to compare Jordan Peterson in any way, shape, or form to Jesus, except for insofar as the reaction of the Pharisees. That's right. Well, and and I want to say also the reaction of the crowds, which is that, whoa, this guy acts like he has authority. This guy speaks, our speaks through, this is pastors one who speaks as if he has authority. And they don't teach us to have authority either. But then you, right. you have the Pharisees and they're like, well, we have a, a heritage of godliness. And, Abraham uh, is our father. Abraham is our father. And, yeah. and that's largely been the response of people to Jordan. Mm. Who's this unlearned Galilean out there in the... The reality is Jesus was out for three years feeding the lost sheep of Israel, and he was feeding them the straight truth. If now, you, now, there is nobody out there feeding the lost sheep of America or Canada. So Jordan Peterson arises with scraps of crumbs in his hand that have fallen from the table of uh, Western Christian tradition from the Bible, and he's just got these crumbs and scraps, and everybody is just clamoring, saying, mm-hmm. please turn these scraps into loaves and fishes to feed us. And all he can do is sort of subdivide them. But then we, as the conservative Christians, all we do, and I think it's just so damning of us, I hate it, is is is, is what? We look down our noses at the whole thing. We have happening. the heritage of godly masculinity and femininity. We have we, we stores understand. of food stored up in warehouses. We understand family We've values. We've kept them under lock and key for about 50 or 70 or 100 years. We understand child discipline. We understand marriage. We have resources. We no, just won't you tell you, you about it. You haven't been speaking with any authority on it. Nobody has. Yes, Jordan Peterson's enticing. He's compelling. People like him. I like him. I will not be dismissive of him. He is dangerous, as Jake talked about when Jake was being the devil. He is dangerous, and there's a reason for that, and people need to be wary of him. But I just think there's a, people have a lot of nerve to be dismissive of this man who's actually speaking with authority about things that there's a reason. Listen, we this guy to speak about authority about this guy has he's pulling probably close to $100,000 a month on Patreon of guys that are just out there saying, I love you. I want to give you a buck, two bucks, five bucks, 10 bucks a month so I can have access to have a Q&A with you behind a paywall so I can support your work. $100,000 a month. And we don't actually know how much it is because he, he took the dollar figure private, but we know that for months he was averaging about between $10 and $12 a supporter on Patreon. And he has now close to 10,000 supporters. Yeah. So Which if you want to be cynical, I don't think you should, but if you want to be cynical, if you want to play the devil in this, Jordan Peterson makes a lot of money. He does very well. He makes $100,000 a month just from donations. That doesn't include his book sales. Man. That doesn't include his touring. That doesn't his, include being a professor. His professor. His doesn't book include is third his place in Amazon right now. Yeah. Overall. <laughs> yeah. First in some categories. So why is the dude making bank? Because people are hungry. People are hungry for this sort of practical wisdom. He's out there trying to give it to them. And it's a shame. He should be a nobody. He doesn't have anything to say that we should not be saying from our pulpits with more authority, with better understanding, with better insight and application. He doesn't have anything to offer that we should not be offering regularly, simply as a, the regular function of the ministry of our churches. The fact that he's doing so well, the fact that he has that many people dedicated to him, it should humble us, it should make us repent, and there should be no pieces out there being dismissive of him or his influence, not from people who have refused to give the men of their churches the truth. I mean, I think the proper response is to thank God for sending Balaam's ass, basically. Yeah, that's basically what we have here. Thank God for sending someone to shame us. Now, now learn the lesson and be shamed and repent. Make, and give people the straight truth and stop compromising and stop pandering to feminists and to fem Nazis and to everybody else. Just stop doing it. One man with more m- moral courage than 99% of the pastors out there He's getting people flocking to them. Pastors have moral courage. All right, guys. So 
I guess that's all that we need to really say about the matter. Uh, how do you want to, how would you sum it up? Jake brought up an <laughs> kind of an interesting analogy as to who, uh, we're trying to think who to compare Jordan Peterson to. The first person we thought of actually from our favorite series of films, <laughs> the Star Wars films, Ben. Mm. You ever seen these Star Wars films? I, yeah. I There's this character named Han Solo. Okay. And he's not a Jedi. He doesn't use the Force. Uh-huh. He says a good blaster at your uh, hokey. What does he say? Uh, hokey religions and ancient, ancient superstitions and hokey religions are no match for a good blaster at your side. Something like that. I don't know. I'm not one of those nerds that you know <laughs> watches and talks about Star Wars constantly. None of us are. Han Solo. He's kind of like an agnostic dude, but he's also a good guy. Like you'd rather have. I've seen the Jedi Counselor. I saw those first three movies. You'd rather have Han Solo at your side most of the time, but. He doesn't use the Force, like, you know, but he's a better Jedi. Han Solo is a better Jedi than a lot of people that are tuned into the Force. That's one way you can think maybe <laughs> of Jordan Peterson if you need to a, a slightly better analogy might be that he is a much more practical, down-home, pagan philosopher on the level of C.S. Lewis. Yeah, that great pagan philosopher, C.S. Lewis. <laughs> I said it. <laughs> uh, uh, listen, go go listen to our booking podcast. We've done a ton of them about C.S. Lewis. The more we read about C.S. Lewis, the less we are convinced that he had a real solid foundation as a He's Christian. He's more of an anti-modern than he is anything else. But in and a similar sense to Jordan Peterson, when C.S. Lewis talks about foundational things, he's terrible. When he talks about practical things and gives you practical wisdom about things that he's smart about, he can be very godly, very helpful, very give insightful. you all kinds of these little metaphors and hooks, as Jake said, just hooks in your mind that you can kind of hang a thought on and remember it in a clear way. I think Jordan Peterson, maybe there are people out there that'll feel like I'm being too nasty to Lewis to just put him in the same camp with this uh, pagan, but I think... Pagan self-help guy? Pagan self-help guy. But I think really the best way to think of Jordan Peterson is as a really good pagan self-help guy. Principal difference really is just Lewis helps you uh, think practically and Peterson wants to help you live practically. Right. And I understand Lewis would have said that he had faith and uh, let's not get into that folks. That's not the point. All right. Well, uh, so with Jordan Peterson. What? So with Jordan Peterson. So with Jordan Peterson. That's a good point. Now fellas, let's, let's go back to Hrothgar's Hall before we, we end the program. But I would, I would like to say that Sound of Sanity was engineered by Benjamin Solzer, produced by Nathan Alberson. It was executive produced like all fine Warhorn products by uh, Nathan Alberson and Jake Mensel. Till next time, folks. Stay sane. All right, boys, will there be 12 rules altogether? What say we count them down? Ah, it's the leprechaun's meow. You said it, my boy. So stand up tall and straight, son. One. And then don't you yield to fate, son. Two. Make sure all your friends are great, son. Three. So says Jordan Peterson. And comparisons be odious. Uh, they are. Raise your children up, commodious. Uh, good way of putting it. And make your house melodious. Oh, I think that works. So says Jordan Peterson. And the greatest of ingredients Which demands your full obedience Seek for meaning, not expedience That's all rule number seven That's right And as you live and die, son Tell the truth or just don't lie, son Listen to the little guy, son So says Jordan Peterson Be precise in what you say, my boy And let the children skate And pet a dog or cat sometime Before it gets too late Late. Well, that, that comprises, comprises every rule.